find our seats. There we go. And, uh, echo in my head. Um, there's some emptiness in there, so I, I know where you guys are going with that. I saw that. I saw it in your face, moving the wrong direction with what I said. First Samuel chapter 8 is where we're at. And uh, we have finished our year-long expedition in Job. And uh, I do like to stay <coughs> on our Wednesday nights. I do like to stay with character studies. I like character studies. I've always liked biographies. I like history. I like reading about uh, men and leaders in the past. And, and uh, of course, when it comes to the Bible, I like that too. Looking at, bi- looking at uh, character studies in the Bible helps because we understand we're not dealing with superhumans in the Bible. We're not dealing with some kind of uh, spiritual giants that didn't have issues and didn't have problems like we did, well, like we have. Uh, they're just people. They, some of them made great decisions. Some of them made great choices, lived great lives. Others made some rotten ones. And tonight, we begin to look at the life of a man who made some bad choices. Uh, I've noticed a pattern. We've kind of went from bad person, good person, uh, bad person, good person, back to a bad person now. So, uh, in general, when we look at that, we're going to look at Saul, King Saul. Now, there's more about Saul in Scripture than almost any other Bible character. That surprised me when I saw that. Uh, but there's a reason that that surprises us because so much of what's written about Saul is in conjunction with what's written about David. When David's the main character, we still see much about Saul, though. So it's, uh, and David, of course, overshadows him. So there's only, the things that are only written about Saul are limited, and that causes us to kind of look or think that there's not that much in the Bible about him, but there is a lot we can learn from this man, Saul, uh, and the decisions he made. Saul was the first king to reign over Israel. He reigned for 40 years, according to Acts 13, 21. Uh, he, by the way, did you know he reigned the same amount of times as David David did 40 years. Solomon also 40 years. So all three of them reigned for the same amount of time. Being the first king of Israel not only marked a great change in Israel's government and society, as you can imagine. I mean, imagine if America turned from the the republic we have to all of a sudden having a king. You know, it would change things, wouldn't it? Actually, these days it might not change that much because, never mind. Um, Let's not get political. Okay. Uh, Being the First king would cause a lot of changes, though. And, by the way, it'd be a lot of challenges for him uh, as well. So uh, Israel, prior to this, was a theocracy. A theocracy is when God rules a nation through judges, uh, through prophets like Samuel. Samuel was both a prophet and a judge. Uh, and, and he did this beginning with Moses and then Joshua and then the judges. And so the, a theocracy, by the way, how, what kind of better government would there be than a theocracy? That's, a, that's the top of the line right there with God as your uh, leader. And uh, so now <clears throat> this change in government was disastrous. We'll look at that as we go through it. Saul made Israel a weaker nation. Uh, his reign and his life uh, ended in a losing battle with the Philistines. Uh, he, again, we've talked much about this, and the older I get, the more I think about this idea of, of finishing strong. You know, and, and then last week we were doing that study. Actually, I'm, I'm, it wasn't in here. It was for, a, I'm preaching this Sunday for a pastor that's having a 30-year anniversary. And so I was doing a little bit of statistical research and how long pastors stay. One in 10 
pastor stays to uh, retire as a pastor. So nine out of ten quit. Uh, it's a you know, and it's a it's it, a lot of guys don't finish well, and Christians are the same way. It's uh, it's just we see people start strong. Uh, another statistic that it, it's like three uh, percent, I think, of people in the Bible that started strong finished strong. It's it, it's against us uh, to this idea of finishing strong, uh, and so it's not normal, and we need to have God on our side to do it. Now Saul did not obey God as he should have. And this resulted in God rejecting Saul. There's no descendant of Saul that would become king. In fact, God not only rejected Saul, but his dynasty. And then he chose that David, and of course we'll get to that as we go. But Saul's life is a tragedy that warns us what can happen to us when we reject God's will for our life. When we decide that we're going to go our own way. When we do that, then we'll go the direction he did. Let's read some verses here. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verse number one. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto the, and the uh, excuse me, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Father, I prayed, help us. Bless the reading of your word here as we begin this introduction to Saul. And uh, that we might learn something to apply in Jesus' name. Amen. The whole thing began when the Israelites made a demand. Samuel the prophet was the head of the nation in spiritual matters. God worked through him. And it was a sad day when Saul replaced Samuel in the leadership of Israel. Samuel still had authority, but Saul was the king and now would be the head of the nation. And may I just say that in our lives today, Christians in our churches, a lot of people are replacing their Samuels with Saul's. You've got godly leadership. You've got people that are sold out to God and they give it over. They give that control over. They give, they start making choices that lead them down the direction of either self gratification or worldly living rather than following the Lord. Let's be careful. We never in our life replace our Samuel with a Saul. Okay. That happens all too often. So when you kick God off the throne of your life, what happens from that point on is always going to be a disaster because us in charge of ourselves is not a good thing. Have you ever, those of you who have kids, let your kid do what he wants, eat what he wants, stay up as long as he wants, go where he wants, have everything he wants. Uh, it's not going to be a good thing, is it, when they go their own way? I, I like the phrase, give a boy and a pig everything they want. You'll have a bad boy and a good pig. Uh, you, you'll have what you want in the hog, but you won't have what you want in the boy. It's not a good thing when we get what we want. It's a good thing when we're led by someone who knows better than us. That's what makes good kids when they obey parents who know better than them. No, I know it's shiny, but you're three. You should not be playing with a butcher knife. You understand? We understand that. Uh, I had kids. Uh, all eight of my kids at some point went through the stage where they wanted to play with dangerous things, um, and we have to get in the way of that. So, 
Let God, who knows your life, who knows your future, who knows you better than you know yourself. You ever told your kid that? I know you better. And it's true. You know your kids better than they know themselves. God knows you better than you know you. And so we need to trust Him. We only have the past and the present. That's all we got. God has the past, present, and future. And He can see not only your todays, not only your yesterdays, He can see your tomorrows. You could put it this way, like a puzzle where you've got some of the pieces put together. God's got the picture. Okay, So let Him help you with the pieces. And that's all I'm asking tonight. Let's not let God ever get kicked off the throne in our life. But let's look at what prompted the demand here. Uh, verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, came to Samuel and to Ramah. They, they're going to have a meeting where they're going to tell the man of God what for. This is ridiculous, number one. It's always a bad idea. <coughs> he was God's liaison to them. People tried this with Moses. You remember Korah in the Old Testament? Korah tried this with Moses. He was swallowed up by the earth and all his followers. Uh, it's, not, it's not wise to attack the man of God. We're going to see this later with David. David, for years, when Saul was absolutely wicked to David, David still would not touch him because he was God's chosen man for the hour. It's not wise to go after the man of God. Even if he's doing some things that are wrong, you let God take care of him. So here they look at the demand we find in verse 5. Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. <coughs> now make us a king to judge us like all nations. Now, there's several things wrong with this statement. In fact, our whole evening tonight is going to be basically based on this verse here, and we'll break it down. But one of them is timing. I just want to bring this up. Did you know that God had planned or foresaw Israel having kings? In Genesis chapter 17, verse, verse 6, he talks about Israel having kings. And, and he even made provision in the law for the appointment of a king in Daniel, and, and, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 17. So it wasn't that Israel never would have a king or never could have a king or never uh, that wasn't in their future. It just wasn't God's timing. And timing is a big deal in our life. We understand that. Uh, sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And then sometimes when he says wait, we go on ahead anyway. And that's not a good idea ever. Timing is important. Uh, so they come up with a demand. They, they are prepared with five reasons. I want to go over very quickly. We have like 18 minutes. I'm going to go over these real quickly. Number one, the capability reason. Notice how this starts. This is a great way to start a request, isn't it? Hey, Sam, you're old. That's how they started out the request. Too old to be any good. Now, I did some research here this week, some timelines. To the best of my knowledge that I could find, Samuel was about 50 years old here. Now, I agree, when I was 18, 50 was old. 50 is not that old anymore. 50 gets younger and younger every year as I rapidly approach it. I'm knocking on the door of 50. Some, some of you, 50 is in your rearview mirror. Um, some of you have to have binoculars to look back and see uh, 50 behind you. But um, this, this, is, this is not necessarily that old, in my opinion. Uh, Amy and Jan were old friends. Both had been married to their husbands for a long time. One day, Amy got really upset because she thought her husband didn't find her attractive anymore. And so she's complaining to her friend, uh, Jan, and she's saying, he doesn't even notice me anymore, and I get dressed up, and he doesn't even look at me. And Jan answers, you know, I'm sorry for you, but the older I get, the more, my, my husband says, the more beautiful I get every day of my life. And uh, Amy responds, yes, but your husband's an antique dealer. Uh, 
Not everybody appreciates old age, okay? Uh, we don't always get the appreciation, but 50 is not that old. In fact, Samuel, after Saul reigned for 40 years, Samuel's going to be around to, to uh, anoint the next king, David. So Samuel's going to be around for a while. And, and uh, it was uh, after Saul was king for a while, he failed to smite the Amalekites. Remember that story? And so what did Samuel do? He smote the king of the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15.33, Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Just cover your ears. Okay, my grandson's sitting here. He chopped the man in pieces. This isn't a doddering old man. Okay, good. He covered his ears. I uh, want to protect the little ones here. The elders, were, uh, the elders here were distorting the age problem. And by the way, they were using a problem that wasn't a problem. This is always how complaints even in the church go to. They'll use a problem that's not really a problem. They're just trying to get their way. They wanted a king. Just remember that. They're going to use all these fake reasons or real uh, roundabout false reasons just to get what they wanted. Age was not a problem here. Uh, and so they were just making it one to get the, what, what they wanted to uh, have happen. So churches sometimes get so busy giving accolades to the new generations of worldly leaders in the church today that they have little time for older men of God. And that's a problem. It was a problem then, and it's a problem now. I read a, I wish I had the quote. I don't, I can't give it to you by memory, but uh, I read a quote by a crotchety, you know, that kids today have no respect for their elders, and they just, they don't, they don't have any manners. And he just, this, this quote that went on and on about that is something we've all heard. And then underneath it's like Socrates, you know, way back in the B.C. They were saying the same thing about kids today, just like we are. Every generation's had this problem. But we need to respect our elders. They should have had a little bit more respect here. This was a disrespectful, rude way to start. Uh, one of my, I was, I met one of my pastor friends last Saturday. and We, we spent some time together. And uh, we just had breakfast together. And he recently sent his assistant to a conference just to let him get out and hear some preaching. And a speaker there said the, to him, your pastor is, has been to, in that church too long. He happens to be the one we're, we're uh, celebrating 30 years this, this next week. He'd been there too long. He's too old. And you need to take that work over. This was a mid-20s guy, his assistant. This caused problems when he got back to the church and they had a, a little bit of an issue. By the way, that pastor was 52 at that time. Um, and, but that's, an, that's, that's, that's a thing that people have these days, uh, that, that uh, older people kind of pushing them aside and not taking advantage of the wisdom. And I think that is a big problem uh, in our nation today, in our churches especially. Old people were young people before young people become old people. And uh, we need to remember that and respect that. Amen. Now, uh, it wasn't a legit reason, and it usually is not. So what are they going to say? Hey, Samuel, we're tired of God leading us. <laughs> we don't want God to lead us anymore. We want a king. They can't say that, so they've got to come up with reason. This is how church troubles often start as well. The complaint to Samuel should, that he should step aside because of his old age was grossly disrespectful. Now, the second reason, uh, by the way, I just want to touch on this too. Samuel had successfully led Israel from very dark days of judgment during Eli's time to victory over the Philistines. Samuel had brought spiritual recovery and spiritual revival to the land. 
But all that was ignored here by the elders. And the first thing that happens when we start to allow a carnal desires and uh, seeking after worldly things, the first thing that des- uh, happens when, when we start letting that into our life is we start to attack those that have been a great help to us. We lose appreciation for those that have served us. And we need to be careful about that because, uh, mark it down, people are very quick to forget the good that you do for them. And that's something that happens. Often will attack you with no regard for how much you've done for them. Now, look at, secondly, the corruption reason. Second reason the elders gave Samuel is, your sons walk not in thy ways. The charge against Samuel's sons, unfortunately, was true. They were corrupt. But the use of that charge would not justify their need for a king. Now stay with me here because this is again a common practice even in our day today. I've been thinking when I was putting this together Monday, I was uh, kind of writing these things down. I was thinking of the phrase that Brother Rich used in our anniversary video we saw on Sunday. Um, By the way, we we uh, when we were reviewing that, Pastor Nick and I we saw that we just like we loved that what he said. Thank God for the changes that he's brought, but I thank God also for some things that have not changed. That's that's a very astute uh, evaluation because there are some things that need not change in God's church. Hey, can think, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have words on the screen, maybe, or, you know, uh, the hymns, you know, you had to open a book, which is just fine anyway. Uh, there might be some changes that come, uh, pews to chairs, a lot of people don't like that. Uh, I, I get that. I like pews too, but you know, a few years ago we went, we went from pews to chairs. They're a lot more versatile. You can do more things with them, and and uh, so some of those changes come. Those things really don't matter, you know, in eternity. Does it really matter if you came to church and sat in a chair or sat in a pew? Uh, does it matter though if they preach out of the Bible? Amen. That matters. Okay, so there's some things that need not to change, and uh, so in the past few years I've dealt with several young men. Uh, in the ministry who have the mentality of these elders here. Now, you'll find some things in the independent Baptists that preach in this country today uh, that, uh, that that do some dumb things, that are, say, knuckleheaded things. And then there's some independent Baptists who have moral failures. And it's easy to point to that. And then a lot of these younger guys point to those isolated problems, and then they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They just, they throw everything out the window and, uh, including the good things <clears throat> in response to a broken person or a broken ministry. They're ready to throw out a whole system. You see the problem with that, that we should not get rid of everything just because one thing is wrong. And, and the point that these guys did, your sons are wicked. Yes, his sons were wicked. That doesn't mean theocracy. God's leading them needs to be replaced by a king. You don't have to throw the whole thing up because two guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, the minister, God's way, God's, and today it would be the church, then it was, you know, God leading Israel there, but God, the church is bigger than one person. I, God forbid that I should have a moral failure. I don't ever think I'm above it. I just want to stay right as much as I can. But if I would ever go down the wrong route, all right? That doesn't mean this church closes its doors. I need to get the boot. Somebody else needs to come on and keep going, amen? But uh, that is the uh, idea that we have. We don't, we don't hang everything on somebody. But again, these are false reasons. They had something they wanted, and so they're going to come up with reasons to get what they wanted. 
Am I going to throw my Bible out the window because one man that preaches the Bible is a knucklehead and says dumb things? No. Are, are there some? Yes, there are. Uh, there are some crazy things that this book is used to say. That doesn't mean I get rid of the book. It means I turn him off okay? <laughs> because he's, he's uh, wacky. There's a lot of wackiness there. Uh, because someone that preaches, this is a big one, because someone that preaches high standards has a moral failure, do I throw all my standards out the window? No, not at all. Because just because somebody messes up doesn't disqualify the Word of God, God's church, and all those things. Uh, yet I've seen too many young men that do that. Uh, and uh, we, we, we don't want to do what they do here. Your sons are wicked, so we want to change everything. Bad thinking there. Uh, they were wicked. They took bribes. They turned aside after lucre. Uh, they spurned the teaching of their father. They followed not his ways, verse number three. And uh, they are going to have to answer for that. Oh, all right. By the way, here's here, here's funny funny thing to me. This This made me chuckle because this is so like the church sometimes. They were complaining that Samuel's sons did not walk in his ways. What way, did you notice that when they came to Samuel demanding a different way than Samuel was leading it, right? We want a king. That wasn't Samuel's way. They're not walking in Samuel's way either. But they're complaining that his sons aren't walking in his way. I just find that interesting. There's a lot of hypocrisy when people start to follow after the flesh, when they start to follow after the world, when they start pushing aside God's word, they start pushing aside God's leadership in their life, and you start seeing a lot of hypocrisy in their life. Number three, the conformity reason. We're not going to make it through these. The elders said they wanted a king in order to be like all the nations. Verse five. This is a sad statement. The elders saw the glamour of the world, and they wanted to be like the world. Again, if you have kids, we all dealt with this, didn't we? Have, how many times your kids, everybody wears it, or everybody does it. That everybody translated was one person they admired or looked up to. That was all it was. One person did it, they wanted to be like that one person. But uh, wanted to be like the world. Listen to what Matthew Henry said. A poor prophet in a mantle, Samuel, through, uh, though conversant with visions of the Almighty, looked lowly in the eyes of those who judged by outward appearance. But a king in purple robe with his guards and officers of state would look great, and such a one they must have. They were tired of this old prophet in his dusty robe. They wanted a king. They wanted, uh, they wanted pageantry. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. They wanted the fanciness, the palace. The elders wanted Israel to be like the other nations. They did not realize they were better off than the other nations were because they had God leading them. How many times as a Christian do we devalue what we have and then want something that we shouldn't have, get that, and lose what we had, which was much better? I'll give you, it's in case you lost that because my brain's not working right. Let me give you an example. Garden of Eden. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to eat of the forbidden fruit. They ate the forbidden fruit. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. And what they had and lost was far greater than what they got in return. And whenever you forsake God for your flesh or your way or your desires or the, anything after the world against God, you're always, you might get what you want, but you'll lose what you had that was so much greater. Uh, how often we judge only an outward grandeur grandeur rather than inward spirituality. 
because we lack materially or because we don't have the popularity we want, we think we're inferior, when in truth we have spiritual advantages if we're in Christ, if we're following the Lord. God has given you the greatest blessing of all time if you're saved, is your salvation. That's a greater blessing than many, many people in the world have today. So spiritual blessings far exceed physical blessings. Don't ever sacrifice the spiritual on the, uh, for, for the temporary. Don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. Because you'll always, always regret it. Which, by the way, they ended up regretting bad. Very soon after they got the king. We'll get to that later. By the way, and, and I'll just close with this thought. They want to be like other nations. Israel wasn't like other nations. They were better. They were better. First Peter talks about you're a peculiar people. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen generation. We are not the world. We are, and when it says peculiar, I know we look at the word peculiar as weirdos. We translate that as, uh, yeah, everybody in the church is a bunch of weirdos. Now there are some, present company excluded. We do have some weirdos, uh, like every church does, like every place does, okay, amen. Uh, but that's not what that word means. Peculiar means special, called out. <laughs> you are set apart. Uh, we, we are the apple of God's eye. We have it better than what the world has it. And so what an offense and a slap in the face of an almighty God it is when we seek the things of the world that he saved us from. Why are we going after that? It's like going after garbage after we've been saved from all that. And life is so much better. So, it, so here's God. You know, Look at the whole picture. God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur. Abraham, I'm going to make of you a special nation. You are going to be my special people. And for years, he takes them through the Red Sea, and then he gives them water out in the desert, and then he saves them by uh, dropping manna from heaven so they have something to eat. And then when they complain about that, he sends them uh, uh, the first ever Brazilian cafe, uh, restaurant where he sends them big sticks of meat in the, in the idea of birds. And they ate, they ate the quail until the stuff came out of their nose. He fed them. He gave them water. He protected them over and over against their enemies. He gave them victories. And then they, because why? They were special. They were his people. Now they say, we don't want to be his people. We want to be like everybody else. What an offense that is. Now, how often do we do the same thing? We, we are his peculiar people. We are his chosen people. God, I don't want that. I want to be like the rest of the world. That's an offense to him. And it's sad. Uh, Leviticus 20, verse 6, he told them, And you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, <coughs> that you should be mine. Now, that was said to Israel, but the same thing, in effect, is said to us as Christians. You are my people. He says, what? In 1 Corinthians, what? No, you're not. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. He bought, he, we all belong to him. We're his people. And all kinds of benefits come from that, as we know. Um, there's a couple other reasons here that I'll finish up next week because they're good. I don't want to just throw them out. We'll get to them next week. But uh, let's, let's not make the same mistake these folks did. Uh, what Satan always does in your life, friend, is he will minimize what you have and maximize what you don't have. He did it with Eve. 
they could eat hundreds, thousands maybe, of trees and vines and plants in the garden. They could eat anything they wanted but one tree. What do you think Satan put all his focus on? That one tree they couldn't have. He does that in your life too. He focuses on what you can't have or don't have. And he minimizes all the blessings that you do have. It's good for us as God's people sometimes. I mean, and if it's like me, sometimes it's just taking out a legal pad, okay, and flat out writing them down. Recounting our blessings. That's why we have a song, Count Your Many Blessings. See what God has done. The reason, because we need to write those things out, realize, or at least in the notebook of our mind, realize the blessings we do have, and then spit that in the face of Satan. Amen? Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for doing so much for us. Pray you'd help us to make choices for you this week. Really, in the long run, choices for you are choices for us because that's a better walk, it's a better way, it's a more rewarding. <coughs> help us not to be fooled or conned by the lies of the devil this week. Help each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. You are dismissed. God bless you.